From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 444, DSC Strategies with guest Jason Helmick. Recorded Tuesday, October 6th, 2015. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Jason Helmick, who's a 25-year IT veteran and an author at Pluralsight. He's an avid supporter of the PowerShell community as board member and CFO slash COO of PowerShell.org and a Windows PowerShell MVP. Greetings, sir. Well, Richard, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. And I guess when this show's coming out, you and I will be together at IT Edge Intersection, which you've helped pull the speakers together for. You know what? I'm I'm really excited about a few things regarding um, IT Edge. One, yes, we will be together, so we get to say hi in person. <laughs> and not just the, disembodied voices. Not just disembodied voices. The other thing is, I'm I'm really excited about this conference. There are so many amazing people that are going to be there. But this, having the IT edge side to this, we've got some amazing people showing up talking uh, about some amazing technologies. And I, I, I just can't wait to go and see a lot of these sessions. It is a great time to be an IT pro in the Microsoft space, isn't it? Well, you know, I, I think it's a great time, especially if you love to learn new stuff and you, <laughs> you like to be able to, you know, advance through the, 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 the things that are out there. It almost doesn't matter where you are in operations, like we're busy being disrupted between virtualization in the cloud and configuration as code and all these DevOps things like there's no stack you can hide behind. I'm just pretty happy with the way Microsoft's been dealing with it. Well, I've, you know, it's one of the most exciting past several years, I think. Um, in, in my experience with Microsoft technologies, this has definitely been the most exciting. You know, today they were doing the big show and I've only seen part of it with some of the new products and stuff like that. But from an IT ops perspective, we've been having this excitement for the last few years. Yeah, sure. And it, it truly is amazing, especially as you mentioned, as we start going down the, the DevOps road and configuration management, all of these ways that we can finally get control of some of the operations. I don't know how somebody that's in IT couldn't be excited I, unless you're still running server 2003, then uh, I can understand why you would not be excited. Yeah, if you've got 2003 R2 servers, A, you're out of support. B, yes, yes, your network stack is faster. Because, uh, you yeah. know, the web performance guy and me, we still haven't be that beat that network stack. But it didn't have IPv6. Like, you just can't do a whole bunch of things. And we're recording this on October 6th, which is Microsoft's big Windows 10 hardware announcement day. And they, they announced the Surface Pro 4 and the new Surface Book, which I immediately ordered and uh oh did you order yours oh see i'm jealous already <laughs> it's, i i've been holding on with a laptop that's a couple of years old thinking ah maybe something to come along come along and then finally i'm like that's the one i want that yeah anybody who who really knows me knows that i i have i have macintosh computers that i use <laughs> and this is the first time this hardware really excites me this is the first time i've seen something and it's microsoft's hardware and yeah. 
it's like, I got to get me one of these. I, I, I have to try this out myself. This is very exciting. Yeah, I've had surfaces scattered around the house. The children have been using them. The children, they're in their 20s. They're not so much children as they are house sitters. But uh, myself, it's always been an Asus Ultrabook or the Samsung, the 940. The, I really like those machines. But yeah, that Surface Book was the one where it's like, that one, they, right there. I'll take some of that. Yeah, that caught me off guard, and so I'm pretty impressed. Excited to try that out. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's not a cheap machine. I mean, fully loaded, three thousand USD plus. Like, it's that. That's not a cheapo machine if you get no, all the gadgets you know on it. It's not a cheap machine, but when you know, I have a MacBook Air that's uh, eleven inch, and it's you know, when you get like a thirteen inch, and you get it fully loaded, you're pretty close to that same price. Sure. And this thing is even faster and smaller, yeah. so I, I'm dying to see it. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. And I don't know that there's that much that's come out of this latest wave announcements that's that big a deal for a server guy because 2016 still a ways away, right? TP3 was great. We started getting containers and things, but. We, we, it's not our time yet. Yeah. So depending on where you're at in the IT op cycle, if you're, you know, looking at the, the, the new servers, cause you want to, especially if you want to get your hands on, um, nano, which is going to be a huge deal at the IT edge conference. Yep. We've got, we've got the Snover, our recently minted tech fellow is going to be talking nano server probably on the day this show comes out. He'll be out talking about it. And this will be a great opportunity both to, if you're, if you're there at the show to run up to him and congratulate him on his promotion. And also he's going to be talking about nano and nano server is very exciting. Yeah. We don't have this release yet, but we're going to have it. Well, you know, pretty soon, right? Mm -hmm. As far as, um, IT ops guys are concerned. And while TP3, you know, nano on there is, is a good thing to start playing with. It's, it's not fully there yet. And so we're really looking forward to some of the next preview releases, but the rest of uh, uh, Server 2016, especially Core, is ready for you to start testing now so that you can see how you want to adopt your environment into it as you move from Server 2012, or if you're still on 2008 R2 and you want to get moved up to that. So when you... You know, I thought that 2012 didn't really do Core like I remember Core from 2008. Well, actually, the interesting thing is that 2012 does core beautifully. In fact, what I've been trying to, and a lot of us have been trying to convince a lot of IT ops guys, look, if your servers are still running the graphical desktop, you, you, you really, I mean, Microsoft has definitely made it clear. This is not the way to, to manage the environment. Right. So one of the best things you can do is move to core today, even if it's server 2012 R2, mm -hmm. and get on core, because you can still run everything that you need to run, but you need to start to, you know, get grips with that management practice. Now you're gonna, you're gonna be using PowerShell, you're gonna be using automation, you still have graphical tools, but you want to get into the hang of that management process where everything's remote from the server, and you're not walking up to that server anymore. Even our RDP doesn't count. Yeah, RDP doesn't count. You know, it was funny, and I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact version. I thought it was 2008, mm -hmm. where by default it was disabled. And we had to go back and turn it on. Yes, whether through that was policy. true in 2008, especially the core edition. The beautiful thing about yeah. RDPing into the core edition is it just dropped you to command line anyway. Right. So one of the interesting things is guys say, well, I want to RDP to my core boxes. It's like, well, you're still going to get command line. You're just going to get a command line. Why don't you do it remotely, dude? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they, they gave us those RSAT tools for a reason. If you, if you need to do something one off that you want to do with a graphical, that's fine. I still do that occasionally. Yeah. MMC is um, not entirely dead. 
No, 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 absolutely not. And, you know, somebody was asking me the other day, what's the last thing you did? And I, I was talking about a site connector in Active Directory. I just needed to make a change to it. Now, right. I, I could have done it through PowerShell, but it probably taken me longer to look up the help on the command than just to bop into the graphical. Yeah. But if I wanted disaster recovery for all of my site, you know, my site links, that, that's when I'm going to automate that, right? In PowerShell. And we want to make sure that guys are comfortable with that process now because as, as Microsoft moves into using Mano and as uh, more agile businesses are obviously going to want to start moving into Nano, um, you know, your management style starts to become locked in to where you're not going to be able to rely on some of those old tools. Yeah. This, these GUIs are going away for good. In a lot of respects. Although 2012 had that cool capability where you could put in the GUI, set up your configuration, then take the GUI back out. And, you know, in a lot of respects, that's kind of the stepping stone. And mm -hmm. and, and I, I like that stepping stone because sometimes you'd have an application that you needed to get on the server that didn't have a command line way to right. get it set I up. need to click OK. Yeah, and we still have that. Um, but the idea is, is that, you know, you and I would get the application installed and then turn the graphical desktop off. Right. Well, that's what we want to get guys accustomed to because first of all, just from a security aspect, you're reducing your attack surface. Mm -hmm. You're also reducing all of the stuff that you have to keep updated and maintained. Core and especially now nano takes so few updates um, that it really changes your, you know, you got to go back through and reboot these servers at some point. It changes that entire management cycle for the better. And so it's an important aspect that we want to get guys um, working with now rather than getting caught completely off guard. And if they're doing this kind of stuff now, they can start to enjoy the benefits that they can get from more of a DevOps approach, like some configuration management that they can do today that they, they weren't able to do many years ago that can really change how the business functions and how they're viewed in the business, quite frankly. Sure. Absolutely. I'm, I started using core for Active Directory because, you know, the GUI on that was just MMC anyway, and certainly everything is controllable in PowerShell. There was just no reason to have all that in there. And it sort of spoke to this idea of really small, really light, very specific VMs that were doing one thing. They were AD, DNS, DHCP, done. Absolutely. And just that, they, but to get enough nerve to use core for exchange. <laughs> well, you know, that's a, <laughs> you bring up something really kind of a, one of these touchy kind of subjects mm -hmm. because exchange is not, well, let's just, Microsoft does not officially support exchange on core. Now, right. does it work on core? Yeah, it yeah. does. But that unofficial support kind of thing um, doesn't, you know, help matters. Hoping and I, you know, it's, it's kind of gone back and forth. I'm hoping that with 2016 release on prem, there will be official support for core. I've had production environments that are still running on exchange core. I probably shouldn't say that out loud. Um, but other things that are supported on core, you know, it's a great way to make some really fast web servers. Sure. I am um, totally happy on core. Yes. Yeah, totally happy on core. And so, you know, there are a lot of options that people can do, especially for their edge infrastructure stuff that, they can have set up on core and they can get accustomed to managing it that way. And that can really lighten the load, whether it's virtualized core or if it's still physically installed. How much bare metal have you got in your life still, Jason? Cause I'm just running out of it. 
you know what's what's really interesting, Richard, is you know I think that's a fantastic question for anybody except the messaging guys. <laughs> <laughs> and let me just let me just say, you know, in in my life, of course, just like everybody else's, virtualization is you know nine times out of ten that's the way that you, you sure. you're going to go. That is the way to do it. For if you're a messaging guy and you're working with Exchange, you can virtualize all of it, but yeah. uh, it's. Microsoft even recommends you don't virtualize it. And it's one of these reasons for both the high availability aspects and the performance aspects. Mm -hmm. Microsoft wants it physically installed. That gets it away from having to share resources with anybody else. Exchange doesn't like to share. That's one of the things. But that's one Um, of the reasons to keep it in a VM is that it it feels like it's all alone, whether it is or not, right? Yeah, but it it doesn't even like to be told that, you know, you know how like on a VM you can say, well, I'm going to tell you how much memory and how many processes you have. And then I, I might dynamically mess with that. It really doesn't like that at all. Because the correct amount of memory for exchange is more. Is more. And it doesn't like to be lied to. So um, it's a little grumpy. It's a little grumpy. Um, they really want it on physical boxes and with JBot as the storage. That way you get rid of anybody taking up any of the storage bandwidth. So Microsoft still wants it physical. And most of us exchange guys, it just works out better for us to slam it up um, on physical hardware because we've got a lot of it laying around sure. that isn't being used for virtualization. Well, and part of this is also, and they want you in the cloud anyway. So, well, and, and, you know, I think you bring up one of the, the best points. I just had this conversation. I have it all the time, but I had this conversation with, uh, Don Jones the other day mm-hmm. about, you know, where are the exchange managers going to go? And it's like, well, we're going to need them for quite a while. Some of them while we have these hybrid environments, but not only does Microsoft want you to go to the cloud, you might not realize it, but your business leaders want you to go to the cloud. You might say, well, no, they hate the cloud. Eh, maybe not as much as you might think yeah. because they're starting to look at the, you know, the dollars and cents to all of this. And in a lot of cases, it makes a lot better sense to, especially with messaging, move it to the cloud where you got the people that wrote the software running the software. Yeah. Ain't nobody know more about it than them. No. And, and, and. The, and the price tag's compelling. And if you're living under VLA, you probably own licenses for it to be up in the cloud anyway. It's just exactly. you looking over that exchange hardware, that those expensive, expensive servers and going, yeah, I only get three years out of those now. I got to switch them up again. And then when you start to add in things like the cost of you trying to do archiving and the cost of you doing all of the, the mitigation for the, the viruses and the spam and all oh, of the dude. other appliances. I registered to do- the domain guh, G-U-H dot com in 1997. <laughs> I have a three-letter domain name, which I get offers on all the time. Oh, the I problem bet. is that in 1997, there was no such thing as spam filtering. I mean, none of that existed. Th- that domain is on every spammer's list in the world. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I get 7 million, 6 to 7 million spam emails to that domain a month. Well, and you know what's funny is, and some guys, you know, every you know, there's new IT guys born every single sure. year. Back in those days, maybe a little bit earlier, you probably remember we actually plugged in networks directly into the internet yeah. without a firewall. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, why? The, the internet's a beautiful place. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Everybody wants to share information. It's going to be great. So between those early domains and, and of course, today, you would never consider that. No. The spamming and all that, that's expensive today to take well, care of. Well, all that it, traffic, like, guh is effectively my portable DDoS attack. If I point that MX record at you, you're unhappy. <laughs> Uh, where would you like me to aim it now? Pick an IP address. I'll mess it up, and I don't have to do anything. 
okay, I, I have some friends I'd like to mess with. <laughs> you might be of help there. But this is where I talk about, you know what the cloud really does for you? Maybe one one hundredth of a percentage point of the email going down the domain is the email I actually want. I don't want any of that bandwidth hitting me. And I'll tell you, Exchange Online Protection, which is their spam service, you can still be on-prem exchange and use EOP. It's a buck a mailbox a month. And it's good. You know, when they first came out with that, and it was called Fopi or whatever, it, years ago when they first came out with it, I'm like, I'm not so sure <laughs> that Microsoft's going to do what it. they're doing here. Yeah. yeah. And I had put it in place and then I had some customers try it and we dialed in on it and it works really well. And today it works fantastic. It's definitely a top tier class product. And see, that's just it. You mentioned it. You can have that. Going through your mail and getting rid of so much trash that would yeah. normally be on your network. Yep. And then still sending it to your on-prem environment. Yep. Um, yeah, it's an amazing service. It's, They've done it's a like really the first hit is free. It's crack, right? Yeah. This is your first use of the cloud. Just take the spam off your network. And then look at all the enjoyment you can have by moving your mailboxes up there where yeah. you're not responsible for the storage. You know, you get better storage limits than most people have ever had in their messaging yep. environment. The whole next yeah, I'm level. I'm certainly a huge, huge fan of Exchange Online I and well, the entire Office 365 suite. So. Absolutely. Hey, Jason, give me one second to pay the bills here because Run As Radio is brought to you by ScriptRock, the makers of guardrail and the fighters of configuration drift. Configuration drift happens in every environment from five nodes to 5,000. Guardrail will find and scan the configs of every node in your environment, no matter the platform, and alert you to changes happening across machines. Give it a try for three months free with the coupon code RUNASRADIO, all one word, at scriptrock.com slash RUNASRADIO. All right, I dig this idea of getting ready for NanoServer by looking hard at making more of my services core. Yeah, and so, you know, here's what we're really trying to convince IT guys to do is take a look at, first of all, how you're going to manage this. And yes, you will have the, uh, you know, the remote server administration tools, but let's stop doing that if we can and start to look at the automation. Now, one of the things that comes up is, well, I've started to learn PowerShell, but it takes a long time to learn PowerShell. It's yep. hard to learn PowerShell and I don't have time at the office. Well, one of the reasons you don't have time at the office <laughs> is because things keep blowing up. So try this approach instead. Let's stop some things from blowing up to give you more time at the office. And how you do that is, one idea might be to approach, as you're working with Core, to approach it from doing configuration management. Because if you do uh, declarative configuration management, you're going to send a document to that server, and that server is going to configure itself the way that you wanted it, and we're going to stop people from being able to change it. You know how somebody just walks up to a server and makes a change? Yep. That often... You know, it's breaking our change management, you know, rules to begin with. Yeah. And that's usually what causes the break that is causing the fire. Well, we can control that. But here's the benefit that the IT guy gets out of this is they can learn to do configuration management, which is written in PowerShell, which means they'll have a good business reason to be learning PowerShell. They can learn configuration management quickly so they can start solving real problems quickly and then they can dive deeper and further on the other components to PowerShell as they you know become more important to them through their business activity this way you turn it into something productive right away and this will help you manage 
the drift that you have. This will also be great change management documentation. Sure. It's also a real small subset of PowerShell. Like I think PowerShell gets overwhelming for people as too many things. Just going down and worrying about automating configuration of servers and, and services, now you just don't have as many commands to deal with. Well, and that's why I think, you know, some people, you know, you know, you know, bite large, bite hard, and, you know, you'll own the world kind of thing. And this is now take a bite small at this that's effective for your business. Doing your infrastructure services through desired state configuration, your domain controllers, DNS, DHCP, maybe your web servers, some sure. of your basic web servers. Start off small, but start doing it. Then you're learning PowerShell. You're also putting in place configuration management, which now you're down this DevOps route. Yeah. Because now you'll be able to do things like you'll be able to be more agile at making changes. Now, do I need configuration manager? Because System Center Config Man is not a free product. Nope. And this is and and this is one of these times when you know, people will say, you know, if I don't need System Center Configuration Manager, what's the future of System Center Configure? And I'm not going to guess what Microsoft has as the future for it. Sure. But you do not need System Center Configuration Manager to do DSC or desired state configuration. What about the, the Microsoft Deployment Toolkit, which is sort of the free subset of Config Man? And you don't even need that. Huh. All you need is to sit down in, 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 in front of a screen and start typing in some simple configuration documents that then you can send to those servers that you want to configure. Right. Because DSC is built into the operating system on everything from server 2012 up. So it's already built in. It's already running on your system. You already own it. And so you got it when you bought server. You got it when you got the client. So... um you already have everything you need ready to go. No additional products required. Now, some people that are, that are going to be listening to this, they may come from a Linux environment. They may already be working with products like Chef or Puppet mm -hmm. that do this. You can still use those products because I'm just going to use Chef as an example. They already integrate with Microsoft's DSC for configuration management. Right. Or you can start using what, what Microsoft has for you. Um, and I'm pretty sure, I mean, if I'm a guessing person, I'm going to, I'm thinking that system center configuration manager, you know, pretty quickly is going to start to implement tools around DSC and some of the reporting that we need for DSC. So I'm yeah, the same way that, that config man became a wrapper over top of MDT and made it better. Exactly. And, you know, so I see that, you know, there's probably going to be a, a relatively rapid evolution there. That's my best guess. So mm -hmm. if you, if you have the investment in, in Config Man now, I think that's going to help pay, you know, it's going to pay off in the future by helping you with your, uh, configuration management. Sure. Just make it easier to do. But if you were willing to do things by hand and not spend money, which just means trading time for money, really, you can yeah, do it all by hand. Absolutely. And the thing is, when you, when you, you say to an IT guy, well, just code this up, they kind of get this long, ugly face and <laughs> yeah. they, they start, you? you know, I, I'm not going to be able to code. Yeah. Have you met yes. me? That's not what <laughs> I do. I got devs for that. And, and yes, you can. I, I, I hate to use that <laughs> phrase, but yes, you can. You can do this and you'll be learning PowerShell and automation because there's a lot of other benefits besides configuration management that you're going to be able to get from this. A, you're going to be learning how to manage Larger environments with both core and nano, more right. effectively. You're going to get more automation into just about anything that you wanted to do. But the configuration management is going to be a big impact to how your operations work, and it's going to give you more time. So it's a big business factor that helps your business be more agile 
And it helps you. So it makes you look really good. <laughs> <laughs> makes you look smart. Stuff yeah. just works. Well, I, I kind of like this idea of we, we all have the word doc, right? That is how to set up this web server the correct way. And essentially what you're saying is convert that word doc into PowerShell calls. That's exactly what you're doing. Only you're not having to go down to the level of PowerShell where, where you understand how to do everything. In other words, let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. You and I know how to install a SQL server, and we have a list of steps. Do this, sure. do this, do this, configure this, do that, do this, do this. Well, there's a resource for DSC that you just say, I need a SQL server with these accounts and these databases. It has all of those tasks that you and I know how to do are already scripted and automated. So in a way, it's kind of like the old joke, you know, don't anger me or I'll script you out of a job. Well, <laughs> they did, um, is what they've done. As long as and, your job is pressing next, next, next. Yeah. And so if your job's been pressing next, 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 we've automated all of that. And we've automated a lot of that knowledge in these resources for DSC. So you can write a simple DSC script. Matter of fact, one of the things I'll be doing at the IT Edge conference is showing a, a real business problem, setting up a a kind of a complicated website on a web server, and I'm going to do it all through DSC, and I'll bet that everybody in there is going to go, well, I can do that, and what's going to happen when I fire that at a bunch of load balance servers is I'm going to get a whole bunch of web servers up and with websites up, all load balance ready to go, and nobody can destroy it now. I mean, if they turn off a server, I'll just fire a config at another box and make another one that looks just like it. Right. I don't have to worry about running around and troubleshooting stuff. I mean, this is actually something that's doable, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty simple, and it is a path to learning how to do all of this. One of the challenges you get into, and it's certainly a conversation I've had before, is you get to a place where you're going to have enough of these scripts that you've got to organize them. Do you? What's your strategy for keeping track of all these scripts? Well, and this is something that's uh, been one of my my kind of little pet things. So if you've been working with PowerShell and you've been making tools, in other words, you've been basically creating your own commandlets, we have you organize those into modules. And modules are easy enough to work with that that's a great way to organize those tools. When you're being when you're doing more automating of of larger processes and tasks, one of the things that I encourage people to look at is and, and right now it's it's SMA service management automation. SMA is is a set of tools, basically commandlets, that will help you manage your workflow scripts and your automation scripts and have them run in the system in the background. Basically, it's if you've worked with System Center Orchestrator, this right. is the PowerShell version of it. Interesting. And it lets you do everything that like Orchestrator would do, plus run all of your own automation inside of that. It also helps you manage all of that. Matter of fact, one of the, my favorite things to do is SMA works fine all by itself. However, when you use it with the Windows Azure pack, you get, and this is going to be weird for me to say, but you get a really cool graphical that helps you manage all of this automation hmm. and all of this workflow that's running in the background. So really a couple of ways. One, it's through modules. If you're making tools through something like SMA, which doesn't really cost you anything is another way to manage your more larger scale stuff. And then when you're doing your, your DSC, your, your configuration scripts, those are going to go up onto a pull server and you can have, that's where you could have them for management and you can have them then something that you would then in a DevOps process, like a, a build pipeline, you would um, have this in some sort of repo, uh, like uh, a get uh, uh, repo or some sort of source control repo 
where you can make modifications, they get tracked, and then you can fire those configs back out. Nice. Well, and it just makes a lot of sense to get this all orderly and so on. It's just every so often I throw my dev hat on and think, where is my source control? Because, you know, I want to know who made changes to that script and where it was last updated and, and so on. And that's normal for, for source. And just thinking in terms of scripts being source is kind of a stretch for some folks. Well, in, it is, but I think you bring up one of the most valuable points um, out of this is we want IT guys to realize that they are devs. Uh, if you're going to be an IT guy in Microsoft going forward, you're going to be a dev. And you're going to have to start to think and work like a dev, and that's not a bad thing. Um, and source control is one of the, the biggest topics that we have to discuss with a lot of IT guys. What is it? Why does it exist? And as soon as you, you know, explain it to them, like, oh, I get it. People, you know, I'm making changes. I know what happens when changes to my stuff occurs. Right. And they, they get the idea. It's that this is part of that learning process so that you can operate in IT ops today and, and learning about development skills that you have to use in your IT operations. We want to put everything into source control, and then we want to have testing processes, but we want those to be automated testing processes, like with with Pester, just like developers are going to do. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have some human go out clicking buttons as they're doing a build guide because there's too, too much of a possibility for human error in all of that. Yeah, too easy to get this, it wrong. Yeah, I want this automated so that I can see if it worked or if it didn't work and I can do this automation and run it much quicker than having humans going out and doing it. For sure. That means I can put changes in effect faster. So that's an important piece to it. Yeah, I absolutely. think you really hit the nail on the head there with the, the thinking like a dev kind of thing. Yeah, I, I every time I say that, I get eye rolls from the IT folks, right? So I have to be careful about saying that. But it's like, you know, there's a few things they do right. And one is always being able to revert a, a script back to what worked last time. Exactly. You know, you and, just and, can't lose things. And that's one of the most important things with change management and configuration management combined. We want guys to make all of their changes in the configuration document. First of all, now you have a document of your changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but if some, if you blast that document out to a hundred servers and something went wrong that didn't show up in testing, well, now you can easily revert it back blast it back out again and fix the problem. Sure. Now you can go and start to analyze and do your forensics on what went wrong and that kind of thing. But this allows you to not only apply changes quicker and they're documented, but let you roll them back when something doesn't work right. And get, getting back to a running state first and then do analysis, not be trapped in that. I don't know what's broken. Try and fix it kind of exactly. mentality. And how, how many of us have been stuck in that pattern where we've done something the system has stopped functioning as desired, and we've had to sit there, try to figure out what went wrong, how to get it rolled back, how to revert it. Disaster recovery was really hefty. In other words, it was going to take hours. So we wanted to see if we could, you know, troubleshoot our way out of it. This makes it a much more controlled process, which, again, is what the dev environments enjoy. And so we should be able to enjoy that, too. I absolutely agree. So, yeah, it's funny. This this path was something we should have been doing for the past few years. I mean, Microsoft's been talking about it a lot, but now as you look at, at this latest round of tools at Server 2016 and Nano Server specifically, it's like, here's the benefits if you're on this path. Is this super lightweight instance of the of the OS that you can make more tinier VMs as long as you can automate their management? And I think that a lot of businesses are going to quickly see the advantages to this. I mean, not only in their uptime, but in their 
change management and recovery time and any time that they need to restart components, it's going to be so much faster. They're not going to have to patch as often. Right. I, I really think that, you know, Microsoft has come through on the promises where they said, you know, learn to automate, learn to do this, and we're going to, you know, take good care of you and your business. And they've, they've increased performance and reduced the attack surface and given us exactly what we were, we were asking for. So I know to a lot of IT guys is like, well, you know, I totally disagree with this. Well, it, you might disagree and you might even think that Microsoft is wrong and they might be wrong. And maybe nano doesn't work out. I think it will, but maybe it doesn't. However, this is the way it's going to be. It's like gravity sure. right now. Jump up. You're going to hit the ground. And so just deal with it. Well, and none of all- the practices we're describing here require nano server. They're just a way to take advantage of it. Even if you never use nano yeah. server, these are still good practices for managing on-prem hardware, cloud hardware. They're just a great set of practices. Exactly. And there's plenty of people and plenty of resources that will help you get through the, the, the learning curve. And I know it looks like it's, it's a mountain learning curve, huge mountain, but you can break this down and make it effectual for what you're doing. And you can get involved in this right away and make it successful. Am so, I wrong when I say don't write a PowerShell script from scratch? Go to PowerShell.org or your favorite <laughs> search tool. The script exists. I guarantee you. Well, that's that's one thing. If you're sitting there and you're going, I have no idea even where to get started, you can find resources sure. that are going to help you because we've all been there. We've all been dealing with this problem. So you're going to find plenty of resources, but you're also going to find a lot of people that are that are committed in the community that want to help you get better at it. They actually want you to be successful because if you're successful at it, then it makes all of our lives easier I because totally with systems are up more. People aren't, you know, having the same security flaws and problems. It's just a better environment. Awesome. Hey, Jason, such a fun conversation. It really is an exciting time. Well, thanks, Richard. It's great to be with you. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. 